yeah, here's an easy question for you. How do you find the next book you're going to read? Well, that's a simple enough question, isn't it? But the answer is far from easy if you're a publisher or an author trying to get your book discovered by readers. But today's special guest thinks he's cracked it. No, he's not Jeff Bezos. He was somewhere between uh, Venus and Uranus last time I looked. Uh, it's actually the guy who's taking on Jeff Bezos. Please welcome... Yeah, tech entrepreneur, bibliophile, it's Ben Fox. Yeah, together with Letopia's very own omnivorous bibliomaniac. Welcome back, Dean Baxter. Yeah. Very exciting show today, folks. Book discovery really is the holy grail for all publishers and authors. And here's something else for you to discover as well. Letopia's craft chats, a new way for you to hone your writing craft. Not a classroom, more like a living laboratory. A place for you to focus intensely on just one essential writing skill for five days only, once a month. Everyone can contribute. Everyone can hone their skill. Experiment. Explore. Hone your writer's edge. Take part now. Yeah, craft chats are unique to Latopia and such a great way to actively hone your writing. Uh, and characters and characterizations, that is the current craft chat. Part two is active in the colony Monday morning, tomorrow morning, through Friday this week. So make sure you take part. Let's check out the monthly leaderboard. Major upset last week. Darius Morgan's Pause of the Past was all set to win the month with 64 points. But then Mark Carlos came along with 67 points for the apparition. And on the very same show, Casey King scorched ahead with her saga of Dublin's drug trade, Grave Deceit. 74 points. That's a towering score. But who knows? One of today's authors might just beat it. And here we go, submission number one. It's from Alexander, and he's with us live. Isn't that fabulous? Hello, Alexander. It's so nice to have our, our authors join us live. Let us know what you think about us, Alexander, because in a few moments' time, we're going to be telling you what we think about your submission. It's called Delirium. It's apocalyptic, dystopian, which is kind of a theme for today. And this is Alexander's blurb. Survivors of a savage pandemic journey to the safety of an uninfected village, only to find is descending into madness. Prague, hmm, how interesting, has been ruined by Amazonian river fever as Dr. Eliska Korbova struggles to get survivors to, this, to the secure village of Otoka. I don't know how to pronounce that, but that's my best guess. But it's no paradise. The colonel in charge, Eliska's half-sister, is fast becoming a tyrant. With the insanity of a new, of a fearful ideology taking hold, the doctor must find a way to stop her half-sister before it's too late. I'm excited. Um, this is all about Alexander. I've done a few things over the years. First, I was a film and TV editor working in the UK and India. Then I taught English as a foreign language for 10 years in China and France. Interesting. I've always been a 
keen writer and have written two other novels and many short stories before this one. But it's only with Delirium that I felt confident enough to pursue publication. I'm currently working on a new novel about a man's descent into AI hell. Um, yeah, I did that the other day when I was uh, waiting for a call centre. Um, I'm delighted to say, Alexander, we have the very finest reader you could possibly get from Robert. By Alexander. Read by Robert. Chapter One. The old clock in Prague broke at eleven as a distant building burned. Anton Kratochvil stood on Charles Bridge under streetlight and moon. He held his violin and made it squeal like the human streaks that cried out day and night. He had forgotten to wear his mask, and when he realised, he stopped playing and guffawed. Then he sighed. There was a body on the bridge. The eyes of the dead man were open and staring up at a statue of Pieta, its sad Mary looking down in compassion. Anton turned away from the dead man's grimace. He scratched his greying stubble and heard a chant-like muttering. An old woman across the bridge was polishing a brass plaque on another statue, as if performing a ritual. There were red spots on her neck. He gave her a wide berth as he crossed the bridge. Where were the soldiers tonight? And where was the doctor? As he passed the stone tower at the end of the bridge, he heard a piercing cry. Oh God! Oh God! Then a crow cawed in reply. Someone shouted hoarsely. The latter was a man leaning outside a window, holding a computer keyboard, its cable dangling. He demanded to speak to the president as he banged the keys like a maniac. Many shop windows were broken, their shattered glass everywhere, strewn about with shopping baskets, chairs, utensils, products and rubbish. Even money lay on the road. All the cars had smashed windows and pale firelight flickered on the shards of glass. In a door frame on the right was slumped a ragged figure, snoring loudly. Anton smelled burning plastic. In the distance, at Malostransky Square, he saw silhouettes of several people standing round a fire. He felt a pair of eyes staring at him, and when he looked, saw it was a dog standing still. He put the violin and bow on the ground and took off the case that was strapped to his back. Inside was a bottle of brandy. He replaced it with the violin and bow and then slung the case over his leather jacket. He took a swig. Cackling echoed from a side street. He extended the bottle to the dog, but it only gazed. More for me, then, he said. Some people came out of a side street on the left. There were two masked and gloved figures carrying a body. They ignored Anton and walked up the street towards the fire. From a window, a baby began crying. A rat scurried round a street lamp. A piano played. Then what sounded like gunfire from the other side of the river? On the bridge, a ghoulish figure in a yellow hazmat suit was examining the old woman, who was still polishing the plaque. That could be the doctor, he thought. He heard several men coming out of a jewellery shop. They wore gas masks and were holding metal poles and jewellery. Anson didn't think that gold would do them much good. They laughed as they sauntered away, throwing money onto the street. He took another swig from the bottle and wondered how many of the houses had bodies in them. There were angry shouts. The yellow-suited figure was running and being chased by a gang of about five. As the figure neared him, he briefly saw in the visor the determined face of the doctor. 
She dashed past and down the narrow alley on the left. The gang followed. Anton gaped at the figures disappearing, then ran clumsily after. He almost hit a drunk who was zigzagging in the alley and narrowly avoided a body on the footpath. The gang turned left on Saska, a second alley. He chased them until they ran past a small car park illuminated by one of the street lamps on Charles Bridge. The gang disappeared round a corner, but Anton had to stop near the overflowing concrete rubbish bin to catch his breath. He saw something yellow move under a parked van. He peered. She put her index finger to her visor in a gesture for silence. That won't be easy, doctor, he said wryly. He hid behind the rubbish bin and was quiet. So you've got um, lots of good reactions, I think, in the in the chat room there, Alexander. Um, Prague, zombie plague, a plague in Prague. Um, it should be a golem, shouldn't it, really? Let's see what the genius room actually is saying. Um, they were pretty positive about your blurb. Um, Barbara says not a pandemic. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, there's always that question, really. Are we ready for a fiction on that subject? We'll find out from our special guests in a moment. Um, Kate says good blurb. Uh, Hannah likes the blurb. Jane <coughs> says blurb is a perfect mini-story. Eva says clear blurb. Um, good title, says Matt. Like the blurb. Chris writing. Dystope is coming through. Um... RG says, clear, smooth writing. Now, I feel a bit distant from the protagonist. He isn't coming to life for me. Lots of distancing passive verbs, says Hannah. Could change to active to tighten this up. Otherwise, good writing. Kate says, strong scene setting. I've got a feeling I might be going slightly against the grain with this, but I don't know. I tell you what, Dean, let's have your first reactions, please. Well, my first reactions are actually they're mainly positive. Um, mm -hmm. I thought the blurb was very good. Um, I think it's an exciting premise. Um, good storytelling, efficient prose. Um, I think we immediately had a story there. Can um, you move slightly, um, slightly to your right so we can actually see your face? Yes. Yeah, so you're not, yeah. uh, not a recording. Can we, how are we yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, we, we're immediately getting into a story there, and I think we've got some good writing. Um, the, the only sort of two things... Um, that I would say about it in terms of um, criticism is hmm. um, it, it, it might be a little bit too serious for, for, for my liking. I know Andy uh -huh. D said in the uh, chat room could do might do with a joke. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and there's this question over: is it too soon for you know a book based on a pandemic? Um, is there an appetite for it? I think there probably is. To be fair, you know, I think I think there would be a market for this. Um, hmm. It's just for me whether it's, it's is it a little bit heavy going perhaps um, yeah but yeah know, that, that, could just, that could just be a matter of taste so to be fair you know well, um, I, I, I know I, I think you're spot on with that I mean an awful lot of zombie films and fiction actually do have quite quite a dark sense of humor there too don't they and they do kind of know their parody um, from yeah. my point of view, I, I didn't feel it was different enough actually um, it's kind of a list of events to begin with I didn't feel there's one clear scene um, uh, I, you know this is like we've been here millions of times before dying light for example could almost be dying light, couldn't it, really? Because that's set in some sort of Eastern European anonymous um, city. I just need something new. I want to be surprised. I, it might be the humour. It might be something else. I, I need something original. Um, if I was to take this out to a publisher, I'd need some kind of USP. But let's see what Ben felt. 
Yeah, so uh, I, uh, I, I I liked it. The blurb, the first thing I thought of was Apocalypse Now. I just kind of got vibes yeah. of some kind of, you know, yeah. intense journey down the river. Yeah. Um, but... Um, one thing that stood out to me on the on the blurb is I think it um, I mean I don't I don't have it in front of me but I think it mentioned the you know what the disease was uh, you know my first thought was I would I would love if I didn't know what it was if that was part uh, of it and then the uh, other thing I really wanted was a little bit more of a hint not what the situation was but where the characters were going if that makes sense like a little hint about what the journey was not the not the not the what if that makes sense yeah um, absolutely that's, that's, absolutely uh, now you've given you've given a nice good score there for bang which is a commercial appeal so you you your commercial instincts are a bit strong on this only uh i think that they're you know it's hard with a, a short look but i think it does because i think people are in the mood for this um it's you know it comes to the question of like you said is this how dark does it get is this is this going to have some lighter moments is it going to you know, look at what we've yeah. all been through over the last three years and shed some um, light on it. You know, is that going to, I couldn't quite tell that, but I thought it was, I think it was solid. I think people are always interested in something that's close to what they've been through to process it. Very um, interesting. Yeah. I, very I just interesting. finished reading a very dark book about something similar. So, yeah. okay. Uh, Dean, do you think we're, we're ready for this? Yeah, I, th I think in general, yeah. I mean, you know, th th there's people who are fans of this kind of thing and people who aren't. But I think people who are fans of this kind of thing are definitely ready for it, you know. And um, as Ben was saying, it it's it's kind of... We, lo we, we like to read about things that we've been for, things that we can relate to, don't we? So yeah. um, I think, you know, now that we're... <laughs> come out the other side i wouldn't like probably figure that far but now we've we're kind of over it we're kind of past it it's probably time to reflect now and maybe read about things that you know um that, yeah. that, that, that sort of you know that explore that further we've all, uh, we've all had a years common ago, experience we've all yeah, had a shared yeah, experience I mean, haven't we really yeah and that's, yeah, yeah so and that's like we can all relate to yeah in some yeah. way i think yeah. yeah absolutely yeah that's very interesting because i mean I, I i think you're right actually i think you're both right and i would I would read something like this now, whereas maybe 12 months ago, well, definitely 12 months ago, I wasn't. I was, I was just reading very lightweight stuff, actually, and, and quite retro stuff, too. But um, what are you reading tests uh, normally, Ben? A bit eclectic, or have you got a particular genre you like? Um, I, I'm heavily historical fiction, science mm. fiction, fantasy, um, uh, cop drama with a supernatural touch, mystery kind of in those I, I used to read a lot more non-fiction um but the last three yeah. or four years i've just been solid on yeah. fiction quite a bit yeah escapism yeah. yeah i totally agree with that uh, that's all the yeah. genres we we do regularly on pop-ups let's look at the numbers here alexander you got a 65 i think you should be very pleased with that and obviously you saw into the lead because you're the first one on the show but, but that's, that's a pretty good score and i don't know if anyone's going to beat it but we'll find out in a moment Straight on submission number two, and then we're going to have a, have a word with Ben. Um, I'm talking about shepherd.com. And oh, I just love it when, when these, these kind of coincidences happen. Look, this submission is from Lloyd Shepherd. Did I organize that? No, of course I didn't. It just happens like that, guys, all the time. Happenstance, serendipity, whatever. I just, I just, I really, really just noticed that moment. Isn't that so cool? It's called After London. This is Lloyd's title. It's 
dystopian murder thriller. You've got a QR code there too, which will take you off to Lloyd's website, no doubt. This is Lloyd's blurb. A washed-up detective who lost his wife and daughter in the terrorist attack on London a decade ago is called in to investigate a double murder in a grand old house on Anglesey. The island is now home to a religious community that cares for victims of the attack on London and is one of the few places in Britain not subject to 24-7 observation by drones and facial recognition systems. It's a locked room mystery in which Anglesey is the room and the house is Britain after London. I'm very interested in this concept too. Thank you very much for this, Lloyd. Uh, all about Lloyd? I've had four well-received and reviewed novels published by Simon & Schuster, beginning with The English Monster in 2012. I like stories which are excitingly plotted, but also vaguely transgressive and weird. Just what Ben was saying, he's going to like this. Um, I describe my first novels as Regency X-Files. It's exactly what Ben was saying, actually. I also work as a digital product manager, most recently the BBC, where I was head of product on BBC Sounds. I live in South London, swim every day in terribly cold water, but try not to go on about it like that rather irritating uh, Scandinavian gentleman does, and play my guitar badly when I should be writing. We've got a treat for you in the form of a reading by somebody who occasionally goes by the name of Lex. After London by Lloyd Shepard Read by a clone of Lex that escaped the lab and found a mic. Day one. The stars were out. Jupiter and Saturn sat comfortably alongside each other, accompanying a half-filled moon. The wind was bitterly strong, which was why the sky was so clear, and she cursed a half-dozen times trying to light the cigarette. The impossible lighter, which always seemed to light despite being visibly empty for weeks now, burned hot on her thumb as the flame finally took, and she took in a long, sweet drag and held it for a good long while, exhaling eventually, watching the smoke combine with the cold night air somewhere up towards the heavens. The transgressive thrill of a stolen cigarette at the age of fourteen. It had been six long hours since she'd last been up here. Six hours of walking and carrying and keeping her head down and her face neutral while the very important men and women filled their glasses and tilted their heads together and chatted about whatever it was very important men and women chatted about at parties. It was only her third time serving at one of Brother Thomas's soirees, soiree being a word she'd never heard until Thomas had come up to her after chapel one morning in the old jail and asked her, in his smooth way, if she would like to join his little band of helpers and officiate at one of my soirees. It hadn't been a request, of course, but he'd at least made it sound like one. Six hours ago, she'd stood with the other brothers and sisters who were in attendance this evening, watching from the grass terrace in front of the house as the boat left the jetty on the opposite shore of the street. When the boat reached the jetty on the island side, she saw there were around a dozen of them, and something about this particular intake of guests suggested that Brother Thomas was attracting a different class of guests these days. There was an air of entitlement, of studied indifference to anyone of a lower grade, that marked these guests out to be more demanding. And so it had proved. The men were mainly disinterested, but some of the women were actively hostile. Two of the women were dressed barely decently and became drunk quite quickly, hanging off the arms of the men they were with and studiously ignoring the help. One older man had a voice so posh she had to force herself not to smile. 
Most of the people looked different to those who had been here before. She had been a year on the island, and before that in an orphanage on Salford. But she recognized good tailoring when she saw it. The men's suits fitted them better than their own faces, while the bodily lines of the two drunk women were brazenly on display, while a third, perhaps the most important of those in attendance, judging by the way she held court, wore an immaculate trouser suit that was cut even better than anything on the men. She was terrible, this one, barking orders at the brothers and sisters who were serving, complaining about the food, and at one point staring at Jenny with such an intensity that she felt guilty without quite knowing why, as if the woman could see into Jenny's own troubled past and draw conclusions. The thing she noticed most of all was how well-fed they all seemed to be. Bellies bulged in a way she had never yet seen in her fourteen long years. Food on the island was not as scarce as it had been in Salford, but it was hardly plentiful. But here in the house, there was bounty indeed. Cascades of meat and vegetables and fruit and wine, even champagne and rich chocolates. She had watched them, in her way, keeping her eyes firmly down most of the time but stealing the occasional glance, catching a hand touching an arm or even the small of a back, hearing a firm, harsh whisper of caution, smelling a delicious cloud of glamour coming from one of them, a woman or a man she did not know. I'm just picking up from the um, previous submission, Hannah in the chat room, I see, says World War II novels were very popular straight after World War II. Very interesting precedent there. Uh, pretty good reactions, I think, in the junior stream. Let's have a look. Um, Terry, having said that, Terry doesn't like Yeah, Washed Up Detective, I know I picked on that too. It is a bit of a cliche, isn't it? Uh, RG says, blurb is very dense. Writer? <laughs> He's got a name. It's Lloyd. Uh, Try reading out loud. Long sentences are packed too much in. And that is picked up by a number of other people. Like the blurb, says Eva. Lot going on in the blurb, says James. Blurb needs a lot of concentration, says Hannah. Exactly the <coughs> same comment, really. Um, Chantal says, I thought the blurb was cool. Opening drawing me in. Hannah, nice surprise that she's 14. Good character exposition from Eva. Asides are almost, but not quite, hitting for Matt. All right, lots of great comments here. One or two comments echoing my own internal thoughts, actually, about an edit. My feeling is it needs an edit. And, of course, yeah, thank you uh, for featuring the comment from Lex. It's so interesting to get comments from our narrators because they see it in a, in a different way to the way that ordinary people see it. Lex says, this is 90% telling of showing with a lot of long sentences, which you would notice, of course, being a writer. More than once I had to stop mid-sentence and take a huge breath just to keep going. Very interesting observation. So how did you react to that, Ben? Uh, yeah, so I felt like it was a bit on a nice edge where I, I agree with a lot of that, that the sentences were just a bit too long. Um, sometimes it felt like there were some words that... Uh, didn't necessarily add something and they just kind of caught me up when I was you know both reading and listening to it because I, I kind of prefer to read it um, but I thought overall it was quite good I feel like my ratings were a bit on the knife edge before you know right near tipping um, a bit up um, the blurb was great the first 70% um, mm. I still think that it's missing something in the blurb to pull pull in um, and then uh, I, I should have mentioned on this uh, on this one too that the title. I'm not a huge fan of short titles. Um, I don't mm. think it grabs people, and it really needs to. Um, so on this one, I just think it it um, it might need something to help grab people. I'm not a, a big fan of stuffing keywords into the title, but um, all right, we're talking about SEO help. here, are we for titles? Oh, okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> At least bookshelf SEO, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Excellent. Um, I think it does need an edit, actually. I think that's the, the, the key takeaway for me. Um, I've really liked the concept. I think if I saw this as a, a Netflix movie um, after London Detective goes to Anglesey, would I watch it? Totally. I absolutely would watch it. But how about you, Dean? Yeah, I'm in a similar place. Um, I, I, I like Ben. I, I did actually enjoy it, um, and, and I was I was intrigued by the concept and the blurb. Um, again, you know, as I've said, the, the kind of tortured soul protagonist is a little bit of a trope that you know we've all seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some nice bits in there. There's some, there's some nice bits of humour. I thought. Um, I mean, I like the stuff with like the impossible lighter. I think that was like, quite well observed. Like, you know, I think we all have one of those sort of lighters that just keeps going, even though it hasn't got anything in it kind of thing um but it's very atmospheric um i, I think you know we, we, that lloyd's an accomplished writer um the only thing is towards the end of that i was kind of looking for the story to develop a little bit more um yeah me too which i think again as i said a bit of an idiot we need to get to the story more rather than some of this yeah. talent that we're getting um but yeah in general i, I, I did really enjoy it and i think um you know, I, I think it's potential there. I think it, it just needs a little bit of a, you know. Yeah. And we've got a, a couple a of follow-ups of there from Lex. He said that said, uh, his criticism, that says, there is some fantastic wording, uh, quote, fit better than their own faces is amazing. He said, I'd say this needs some heavy reworking. I, I agree, actually, a serious edit. But this writer has a career and I don't, so what do I know? <laughs> well, well, you're a reader, mate. That's what you know, aren't you? Yeah, I must say though, Lex. Else. I think Lex's um, Lex's narration was perfect for that piece. I thought he, I thought yeah, he did really well. Was, it, was, it, was. it was very atmospheric, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's the just good work. I think. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, the other thing I was going to mention was just with the the bang the bang bit is that um, when I read the blurb and then I read the text it does seem like a little bit of a mismatch for the type of reader that I know that usually is interested in that Good story point. that's pitched when they get mm-hmm. into the writing. It's, it's a bit, you know, it's, yeah. it, I don't know if I would call it a highbrow, but it's beautiful yeah. in some ways in a way that usually those books don't, yeah. don't do. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think Which it was really could well not observed. Work. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, uh, John says, don't think it should have been told as a flashback, uh, when there are all the details for scene. Uh, he's, uh, Lloyd, it's just too slow. It's too slow. There's, there's, you know, the, it, the, the edit that I'm thinking of would be actually quite ferocious. It wouldn't leave you with, with much more than maybe 150, 200 words. And, you know, we just need to get in so quickly to a story like this. And we're not doing that at the moment. Um, self-editing is always really difficult, as you probably found out already through your published books. Um, and it's really an absolutely crucial skill to develop, though. You know, and the key, and it's easy for me to say this, it's difficult to do, but the key is just to take out this all the stuff that really isn't working and i that often uh, you know it, it often means killing your darlings it, you know little turns of phrase oh, i've described that perfectly yeah but actually is it necessary is it really moving us forward as far as the story is concerned if the answer is no it's just got to go let's look at the numbers you got a 62 and that's not bad not bad at all and remember it can go up and down as well uh, a few points as our genii finally make up their mind in the genius room and while they're doing that i think we should we should find out what's going on with shepherd.com from lloyd shepherd to shepherd.com isn't that amazing here we go shepherd.com you go to that website and it says 
discover the best books. What's all that about, Ben? Yeah, so uh, we just turned a year old, so we're just getting going. Uh, but we are trying to help readers find books in new ways. Um, more experience. Uh, I want to create more of an experience like when you wander through a bookstore. So kind of that magical, oh, yes. where are my eyes going to land? What am I going to find? Yeah. So we're very new, and we're just trying to figure out how we can do that in different ways and trying to do that in a way that also helps authors um, so that they are bumping into readers who are going to be most interested in their book. Um, I, I miss, I miss that too. bookstore experience. I miss the library experience, the sheer physicality of books. How, I mean, okay, two questions. I mean, so many questions to ask, and I'm sure lots of people in the genius room are live on YouTube too. Got lots of questions. Bung them in, please. So the first two basic questions are, uh, why did you uh, want to do this? And the second question, how did you start to approach it? Yeah, so as a reader, I am very frustrated with when I want to go find books because Amazon and Goodreads just shoved me into top 100 list. And Amazon still sells books like they sell toothpaste. They don't try to yes. make an experience. You know, they don't really do anything else. Yeah. Um, so that's a lot what inspired the site. Yeah, okay. Um, but it still is something that you obviously were completely driven. We got a question from Pamela Joe, just read the marketing plan. You've got your marketing plan on the website. A lot of websites don't do yeah. that. that. That would be like, you know, you can only see our marketing plan if you sign this NDA. And if you disclose it to Elon Musk, you know, we, we execute you. But you've got the whole thing right up there. Why? What's the philosophy behind that? Uh, yeah, so uh, it's for authors.shepherd.com is the kind of, we have a little sub page aimed at authors since they're a big part of this, obviously. Um, and so there's an FAQ there where I talk about business plan, cost, everything else. Um, and I'm just a very transparent person. And especially because um, I am asking for authors time because, you know, I'm trying to give them an outlet where they can market their book through writing and eventually there'll be other formats such as sharing details about their characters and some other things um so yeah i'm just i'm generally a pretty transparent person um so i try to try to fill people in on what we're doing that's fantastic so let's just go back to basics for a moment how oh i've got so many questions hannah says love the idea of browsing a virtual book bookshelf and a bookstore so you've got we've got one fan already there in hannah and she'll tell a hundred people um what is what's the basic metaphor in, in your head we've discussed the sort of physicality and trying to replicate that but in terms you know from our point of view from writer's point of view how is it that, that people basically discover books do you think yeah, so obviously you have word of mouth from friends, um, and that is a huge one because when somebody you trust vouches for a book or can give you a little bit of, the, of their blurb that hooks yeah. you, um, that is so powerful. So what we're trying to do is to get powerful you know, word of mouth, personal blurbs, um, and then we're trying to deploy them in a variety of ways. And we're very new, so right now we only have a, a couple ways. Um, but right now what we do is we go to authors and we ask them to recommend five books around a topic, a theme, a mood, anything that they want to share. And we make those recommendations very personal. And we do that in a way that they should be doing it in a way that gets their book and their profile close to readers who would be interested in it. So it's a way to share something of value with readers. And hopefully that also entices them to get interested in um, them and their book. 
Okay, so that's I understand the logic behind it now. So the idea is that authors already have their own readers, uh, and it's kind of if if an author recommends X Y Z to to a reader, it's it's like a, like a friend saying, "I've just read this book, and you should do it too." So basically, you're just using technology to use the the time honored old fashioned method of of um, book recommendation, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we try to break it apart. So we do things right now. Um, one of our first features was we analyze what each book is about. Um, and we try to do it in, uh, using some new technology called machine learning. And then we try to say, okay, well, this book recommendation is about Abraham Lincoln, or it's about um, space colonization. And then we develop topic pages so that readers who are interested in Mars or something like that can browse the site a little differently and stumble into it. And this is kind of the most basic first thing. We'll add genres later this year, and then we want to try to get some wild and unique ideas going as well, just to help more people bump into more books. Pamela J wants to know if you've got any anything for self-published authors, Ben. Yeah, we make we make no, no difference. You know, if you write a book, you write a yeah. book. Um, so for us, it's can you write a good book recommendation about why you personally love a book? It's more about shared love of books than anything. Yeah. yeah, just as a matter of interest, so you t- you're talking about a sort of AI on uh, applied learning or NLP actually, which is not neurolinguistic programming; it's mm-hmm. another another acronym. Um, yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, why is the Amazon algorithm recommendation engine or whatever it is? Why is it so pathetic? I actually, I think it's 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 not the worst, um, but it's getting subsumed by advertising uh, because they are uh, trying to make more money. So. Um, okay. that a lot of the spaces they used to do that are ads. They still do it, but it's also, um, it uses a lot of your purchasing history. Sometimes it's driven by your purchases, not necessarily what you are interested in at that time. So, you yeah. know, if you got two years ago, you got really interested in the Mayflower and Pilgrims, you know, that's yes. still going to influence what they try to show you. It totally um, does, doesn't it? Yeah, it's very irritating, that, actually. It's like being followed around the, yeah. the web by sort of a shadow. Say, two years ago, you bought a book about yeah. the <laughs> I know all about it. Yeah, it's slightly creepy, actually. So I've got a quote here from a guy called Ben Fox. Um, he says, social media, I'm quoting your words here, uh, social media has repeatedly screwed everyone who uses it. Oh, heretic. Especially Facebook, I probably agree. And we won't invest in it until we've maxed out the high-value channels so explain yourself mr fox yeah so we're you know i'm i'm funding this myself uh we are bootstrapped and so we have to be very focused on where we spend our resources so i am 100 focused on search engine traffic um oh. from the get-go and that's my entire focus here and that traffic is a lot more valuable because every day people are searching for the best books about abraham lincoln you know, the best books about androids, the best science fiction books, you know, from 2021. And so my goal with this site is to really deliver absolute best experience to users in that regard um, so that then that traffic keeps repeating and then eventually we'll expand to social media. But social media traffic is some of the most less buy intent. So it's not worth as much. So that'll be kind of the last thing we get to. We'll do a newsletter next based on exactly what readers want to get kind of thing. That sounds great, actually. I mean, I just think about, you know, I think everyone's been thinking about that in the last few minutes. I'm thinking about, you know, how do I find books? And it usually is, is, it's almost always by personal recommendation. And then one or two newsletters that I do get that, uh, you know, just, just seem to work. 
I mean, there's one I'm thinking of I get just once once every four weeks and probably 50% of the time I do buy something it, re it recommends, you know. So I think newsletters is possibly a way to go. I've got some more quotes here from a guy called Ben Fox. I will never charge authors to create a book recommendation list, he says. I will never charge readers to read book recommendation lists. I will never stuff the website full of ads. Damn it, Ben, how are you going to make money? <laughs> yes, it's a good question. Um, so we are set through the end of 2023. So my goal is to be financially sustainable by the end of that that year. Um, you know, we will have some targeted advertising um, that is going to have to come in order to support the site financially. I am playing with a few longer term ideas around offering some special perks um, to readers and authors who mm. join as like kind of a VIP membership. Because um, eventually I do plan to have a author login system where they can, you know, take control of their books a little bit and some other things that they would like to do, I know. Um, but eventually we might have, you know, some special programs that, you know, for 60 dollars $100 a year help finance us and keep us going. Maybe author events as well. Um, you know, we've done a lot of author events, God knows, over the past two years because we've had to. And people do seem quite keen on those. I wonder if there might be some future in that. Um we're a very lean operation. Final quote from Ben Fox. We're a very lean operation. Goodreads has 347 employees. I mean, that's extraordinary. Would you, con would you ever sort of consider um, doing a sort of Wikipedia in terms of, you know, I mean, every year or six months or so, you know, you go to Wikipedia, there's massive great banners saying, you know, you've used this so many times in the past week, you know, we need your money. Of course, they get enormous amounts of money from Google. People don't really know that, um, but they do. Um, but nevertheless, people send them lots of money. Do you think, do you think that's a possible source of revenue for you? Yeah, definitely. It's something I am thinking about, but I feel like we would have to be further along. It might be something I try next year, especially if I decide to try to do a crowdsourcing campaign kind of along yes. that same, same line. Yes. Um, but I'm a little nervous because we have limited resources that some of the key features won't even be ready until then this year. So I worry about asking money before, you know, we have genre. We don't have book genre data. We don't even know if books are fiction or nonfiction. Um, that's coming yeah. here in three or four months. Yeah. So there's things like that that I wanted to get in place before we felt like we could do that. Are you uh, just, I mean, you're so transparent. I, I recommend everyone to have, go and have a look at the website. You're so transparent. I mean, are you just a little bit concerned that, you know, someone, Jeff Bezos, is going to rip you off and say, this is a good idea. Thank you very much, Ben. We'll do that now. No, uh, honestly, in, in kind of entrepreneurship, that how you do things is such a huge impact on how things are executed that I don't, I don't worry at all. I mean, if you go listen to, there's a great interview with the founder of Goodreads. Um, he talks about the problems of Amazon wanted to buy Goodreads. They threatened to start their own, and he, he wasn't worried, and primarily for the reason that if you're an e-commerce company, you know only know how to e-commerce. I mean, there's yes. a reason that they don't have yes. anything else and they buy it out so no i have yeah. zero worries <laughs> very 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 good point very interesting uh pamela says this on screen now uh new subgenre paranormal women's fictions not recognize the moment by mainstream fiction would your system give fans a platform to learn and connect with authors i think the answer is going to be yes yeah, yeah. In yeah. fact, one of the things we do hope to do as we roll out genre is to have author-led genres because I have another author who's uh, created neon science fiction, um, and so that's something that's on my mind as well. Um, mm. In terms of interacting with readers, that's hopefully something down the line, but no ETA yet, but that is definitely on my mind. 
Fantastic. Good. Okay. Well, you know, obviously we could keep you all day talking about this, but we're not going to because we've got three authors who are biting their nails. Even now saying, stop talking to Ben. Just get on with my submissions. Final comment from Lex. Lex says he's asking how to shop. So Cox is asking Fox for locks on the stocks. Thank you very much, Lex. Absolutely fabulous. Let's look at the next submission. That's where you go, of course, it's subs.latavia.com. If you'd like to make a, a submission, we heartily invite you to, just as Michael has done. Michael Wojciechowski. I think I said that quite well. Hello, Michael. Very, very, very good to have you live on YouTube. There's Michael's website there. When the YouTube uh, chat clears, you'll be able to scan that and go to Michael's website. I'm going to say it again, Michael Wojciechowski. How about that? I'm a very, very cunning linguist. Uh, his historical fiction is called Blood Atonement. This is a blurb. Blood atonement. Blood atonement follows Porter as he deserts the Civil War and finds work on Quinn's neglected Oklahoma ranch. When Porter falls in love with Quinn's daughter, only to see her flee into the Utah Territory, he must follow her into Mormon country before a posse of mercenaries arrive. This is your classic historical fiction novel in the same vein as True Grit and No Country for All Men. The narrative is replete with symbolism and contains thematic parallels found in Frankenstein. It's a little surprising, but interesting. I'm keen to see more. Um, I'm a published novelist, says Michael. My most recent releases are Three Days, 2019, and Vicarious Vacations. That's a nice alliteration, 2020. Both were published by Black Rose Writing. I have an MA in English and currently teach high school English. Having grown up Mormon, it was easy to weave its history into the narrative of blood atonement. Prominent Mormons Brigham Young and Porter Rockwell make memorable appearances. And we've got a more than memorable reading for you from Ali. Blood Atonement by Michael, read by Alison. Chapter One. He appears on the horizon like a ghost. His gait is steady even though he has no destination, no purpose, just an idea and general location. Each new step takes him further from a life he feels nothing for, yet wishes to escape. Each new step brings him closer to a life he does not care to live, nor to exit. Now that he has fled, he feels only indifference. He will die when he is meant to, and until then he will live because there's nothing else to do. His name is Porter. He wears dungarees faded from dirt and use, and a green button shirt bleached by the sun. The shirt he took off a man who had taken a wound and died soon after. Porter watched him die, heard his death rattle. He could not decide if he pitied or envied the dead man. Porter's boots are more worn than his clothes, the leather soft and creaking. These too he stole from a dead man. A knapsack is flung over his shoulder. This is his. His mom made it for him when he was a child. It pains him to think when he dies. Someone like him will take his knapsack and claim it as his own. Such is the way of the world. Ownership does not exist for the dead. Inside the sack are books, some dried food and bullets. His gun is tucked inside the front of his pants. Quinn stands on her porch and spots Porter half a mile up the road. An hour earlier she had woken from a stiff bed and wondered how she would accomplish the day's chores. 
Her morning prayer contained all the usual rhetoric, save for one footnote, someone to help dig her father's grave. It had not rained in a month, and the earth was as hard as a saddle. Quinn's spade would be as useless as her arthritic back. She squints at the lone traveller and sips her coffee. Porter does not slow his pace, or even look in Quinn's direction upon his approach. Quinn waits in vain for a friendly salutation. Porter chews his lower lip, and keeps his hand near his gun while he passes. "'You got some place you need to be?' Quinn asks. Porter looks up and stops, stares at Quinn, and surveys the area for hidden men. Or does that to a person? Makes a man distrust everyone and everything. Quinn smiles, showing the traveller that she means no harm. I said, you got some place you need to be? Quinn asks again. What do you want? Porter asks, feeling the steel of his gun pressing against his stomach. A hand, Quinn says. I need help digging a grave. Porter eyes Quinn. Was this a threat against him or an honest inquiry? Whose grave? My father's, Quinn says. She thinks this is a queer question. Porter does not appear satisfied with the answer. He died two days ago, Quinn explains, sensing Porter's uneasiness. He's upstairs on the bed. The heat is getting to him, starting to stink up the house. Porter remains silent. Quinn spies the large oak in the distance. Somehow, twenty years ago, her father had dragged a grave under the tree for Quinn's mother. His dying request was to be placed next to her. Twenty years ago, roots and buried rocks damn nearly broke her father's back digging the grave. Quinn aches just thinking of what the task will entail today. You can stay the night, Quinn says. You could take a warm bath and leave on a full stomach. Porter's stomach turns at the promise of food. You got a shovel. They arrive at the massive oak. A makeshift crucifix is sunk into the dry earth. Porter notes the name, Mary, carved into the splintered wood. My mother, Quinn explains, died twenty years ago. Quinn bends and takes a rock from the ground, studies it, and then tosses the stone into some nearby brush. The ground here is like stone, but it's where my dad wants to lie and rest. Porter drops his bag and takes the spade. He plunges a blade into the ground, lifts the dirt, and sets it aside. Thank you, Ali. Fan fabulous reading. Um, and it's not called the Genius Room for no reason. They know what's what they do. Um, and Hannah has just pointed out, um, it's really interesting actually, uh, I can't see it there. Yeah, a very slow start. More, no, 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 before that, before that. That there is already, I can't see it now, it's... Um, there is already a, a Mormon-type novel with the same title, uh, which concerns me somewhat, actually. Um, but then, yeah, Hannah says, there's already a Mormon-based historical fiction novel published called Blood Atonement. Um, but then Pamela says, Pamela Jo says, Blood Atonement is a Mormon religious concept. It's a bit too broad, I think, for a title. It doesn't really tell us the time and the place. Fair number of comments about guns in pants. I'll let you enjoy those comments. And um, Pamela Jo says, stinking up the place is a bit cold if she exits the task. The time and place would be more 
euphemism involved. Terry says, enjoyed that. Uh, Terry, I happen to know, does like his, his westerns. It definitely has the traditional western feel. It does, doesn't it? Though there is danger it will slip into cliche. I think he managed to avoid the trap. But does Dean agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think starting with the uh, with the title, I wasn't sure about that anyway. Um, I, I didn't know that there was already a book called Blood Atonement, but... Mm. Um, yeah, I'd get rid of that. Maybe, maybe have a rethink on that. But um, yeah, I mean, actually, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the work, though. Um, I was a little bit worried with the blurb. The blurb was good, but I was kind of concerned again that it might be a bit cliche. I mean, that the the, um, the plot is very much classic Western territory, isn't it? There's oh yeah, too yeah. Um, but you know, as a piece of work, I really, I really enjoyed it. I thought the characterization of Porter was good. Um, I quite like the gun tucked in the pants thing as well. It, it kind of reminded me. There's a song called Poncho and Lefty. I don't know, have you heard that song before? That I actually know. I haven't. I've seen yeah, it before. Guy, he, he, um, no. Oh. <laughs> it's something I was thinking about. He wore his gun outside his pants for all the honest world to fear. Um, oh, that's a classic pop-up moment. That will live for infamy <laughs> forever. I mean, not infamy, it's forever. out there now. It's out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a little bit of exposition there. I think um, you know, we, we kind of we, we got into the, the, the backstory of where we got his shirt from and things like that, which is all interesting. But it, it yeah. kind of was a little bit slowed it down a little bit. But um, we got there. The story was developing towards the end of it. Um, uh, and yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it was a pretty nice piece of work. Nice. Okay, great. You've given a very good score, actually, 100% for craft. That's that's. I think uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, your... other than those little bits of exposition, I think it was, it was well put together. Yeah, well, that's your best score today. I have no doubt in saying that. What did you think, Ben? Yeah, so uh, I really liked the title. And then when I got to the blurb, I kept saying, well, where's the atonement? Uh, and, you know, I, it, it did pull me in a little bit, but I wanted to know, you know, why deserting? Why is she fleeing? Like, the, like I felt like the heart of it was missing and it was just the action. Um, it was still it was still decent, um, but I felt like it was, a, it was a kind of a letdown when I the title was quite strong yes. um the craft was was good i really liked the dialogue uh, i think if i had just read the dialogue i would have gave it a you know an 80 um but the first part was slow and there was um just felt like a little bit of some stumbling over a few things that just threw me uh, a bit and it didn't feel like it got to the heart of the character what they stood for i just felt a bit lost and i know it's a it's a quick quick read but then when we got to the dialogue it felt like more of that was shining through and i just missed that in the first part um yeah and then uh, on the on the uh you know the the last one I, I i feel like stories like this are 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 great for commercial accessibility um you know anything where there's somebody searching for something that's lost i think sells great i read a lot of it um you know whether that's a search for peace or atonement i think those are always great sellers no matter where you place them in good Excellent. So we got a positive reaction there. Um, I'm going to be a bit of a naysayer. I, I naturally no, no. Put everything on hold for a moment. Oh, Dean, <laughs> have you have you looked have you looked at the genius room recently? I, th I think you've got a no, second I career. Know. I think you've got a second <laughs> career coming up here, actually, mate. 
I mean, you just people are swooning, <laughs> and everyone is swooning. It's just extraordinary the effect you had. <laughs> yes. So, um, wow. That's all I can say. Uh, no, it's not. Yeah, what yeah, I, can I got say. excited about Eurovision last night. Sort of. Oh yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. We got nothing on Eurovision, mate. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Sod your Eurovision. This is where the action is. Oh my goodness. Uh, I'm just going to say one thing, uh, Michael, and that is, I, I, I just just the best stuff. Just give me the best stuff, okay? I need um, I, I, I need to be uh, more tension there. I think you've set a really interesting scene there. Really interesting. You've got a, a vagabond, a drifter, shades of high plains drifter, Clint Eastwood, you know, uh, appearing through, leaming, uh, sort of looming through the you know the hot air. Um, we don't know. We don't know um, anything about him. And we got a woman who we don't know her motives either. We got this great line. I think it's a very very nice line about um, you know do you want do you, do you want to earn some money for making a burial? That's great because that's instantly hooks us we don't know who's the predator we don't know who's the victim it's really interesting scene if you cut it so it's really sparse very arid that's going to that's going to work immensely well for you uh let's have a look at the the numbers you got a 63 so far you got a 63 um i thought you might get slightly more than that actually but no it's a 63 and the genius room knows exactly what it's doing we go to submission number four of the day one's got to say it a lot of writing courses and seminars out there are horrifically overpriced litopia's writing seminars deliver practical knowledge you can use at an unbeatable price Learning the tricks of the trade shouldn't cost a fortune. Litopia's writing seminars give you what you need to know without fleecing you. Yeah, that's true. If you are a non-member, that's how much it's going to cost you. If you're a member, it's free. It's free. It must be insane. Here is submission number four. It's from John Byrne. That's a name I, I, I'm very familiar with. And there is John. Nice to have you along with us for the ride. John, uh, make sure you leave a comment, please. And everybody, please, if you're watching live at the moment, do press the like button because that, I am told, that plays um, wonderful uh, magic with the YouTube algorithm. So here we go. Brothers of the Sword, historical fiction from John. And this is John's blurb. Richard's young life is upturned when he loses his castle home due to treachery. Forced to flee to Lübeck, he joins a crusade to convert the pagans of the Eastern Baltic. Here, he must come to terms with his new life of prayer, danger and duty, despite his own religious doubts with as many enemies within the fortified convent as the wilderness outside. But when their small outpost is threatened by a large pagan army, shades of the Northmen, I think, um, Richard is compelled to make a crucial decision and fight like never before. Originally from London, this John now lives and works in Bavaria. Cruzcott to you, Cruzcott. As a freelance translator and occasional lumberjack, I have written several fantasy uh, novels, says John, in the past, which I never tried to sell, considering this to have been my writing apprenticeship. Yeah, probably right, actually. Since then, I've sold two fantasy short stories to a magazine in America, but I decided I'd rather write historical fiction, having studied medieval history for over 20 years. 
Brothers of the Sword is written as a standalone novel, although it is intended to be the first book of a series detailing the little-known crusade to the Eastern Baltic in the 13th century. Never heard of it. I'm currently writing the sequel and submitting to literary agents, and uh, I think um, this reading by John will help you do that. Brothers of the Sword by John Byrne, read by John. Prologue. Yuriev Monastery, Novgorod Republic, April to May, 1242. We were already in disarray when the arrow slammed into my shoulder, punching through my mail coat and nearly felling me from my horse. Our charge across the ice had been peppered with missiles fired with deadly accuracy, and the freezing air was raucous with screams of dying men and thrashing animals. I could still see the eyes of the mounted archer who had loosed the arrow, widen in triumph. His face I would never forget. Was he a Mongol? For some reason it mattered to me. I had never fought these fierce people from the steppe, but their reputation and ferocity were well known. I was not even aware if they had been part of the Novgorodian army, but that this had affected the outcome of the battle only God in all his wisdom knew. We had been so confident, overconfident, our defeat had been absolute. I woke in a small room with whitewashed walls. An old, bearded man, his craggy face not unkind, tended me, his fingers gentle as he probed my wound and changed my dressing. On the opposite wall hung a small picture of a man with a halo around his head, spearing a serpent. It must have been St George killing the dragon. The halo made him look more like an angel. The bearded man mumbled to himself in a soft voice as he worked. However, the language is unfamiliar. It sounded Slavic. Probably Russian. That could only mean I was a prisoner. With any movement, the agony was so great I thought I would pass out. By Christ Almighty and all his holy saints, I just wanted it to stop. But of course it didn't. It was unrelenting. Perhaps when I was younger, I would have borne it better. Who knows, at my venerable age, death should come as a welcome relief, and I almost felt ready to succumb to it, to give up my fight and drift into the hallowed afterlife. Almost, but not quite. I was not ready to die. There was still too much to be done. There was still my vengeance to be had, a vengeance that stretched back to my youth. Every time I moved, the old man admonished me. It was clear what he had meant by his head shaking and totting. Sometimes I could hear other people in the room, but every shift in position sent shafts of fire shooting through my body, so I could not see them. Only the bearded man cared for me, although I could hear him whispering as he conferred with others. Occasionally a moan or cough nearby confirmed that I was not alone. The room was cool, but at times I sweated so badly I felt like a pig roasting on a spit. The old man put strips of damp cloth on my face, but it hardly helped. Only blessed unconsciousness relieved me of it. My body fought a desperate battle to survive. It was strange that, despite everything, the gift of life was most precious when it was about to be taken away. But survive I did. In the weeks following the battle, the fever gradually released its grip and I could feel my strength slowly returning. I was still as feeble as a child, but my bearded nurse nodded his head and smiled encouragement as he spooned a watery cabbage soup through my cracked lips. Perhaps I would live after all. Now at least I could sit up in bed, but any other movement still sent excruciating pain through my chest. I was too weak to get up, and one time the effort broke the healing scabs on my wound 
causing me to sink back into the pit of sweat my cot had become, earning me another admonishment from my nurse. It was clear to me now he was a monk, a monk of the heretical Greek church, and I was in the infirmary of a monastery. Nevertheless, I was filthy and lice-ridden, my hair long and unkempt, and there was nothing I could do about it. Outside, the bells of a church rang the times of prayer. And straight to the genius room. Always right, never wrong. Um, I think generalised uh, praise for the blurb. Everyone seemed to like the blurb. I'm hooked, says James. Solid blurb, says Pamela. Uh, concise and compelling. Blurb's interesting, says Matt. Good first sentence, says Hannah. Can't get more into straight into the action than an arrow slamming into protagonists. Oh, his shoulder. I thought it was knee. No, his shoulder. <laughs> um, a little meme joke there. Some lovely sensitive descriptions, says Eva. Few sentences inside out, says Pamela, but good scene setting action straight in. Glenn's enjoying it. Right in the action, says James. And RG says, This is quality for me, a quality for me that the previous submission didn't. It's bringing the protagonist to life, making him 3D and engaging. Well done, says Matt. What do you think, Dean? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's, it's another good piece. I think, um, you know, John obviously knows his. his um, subject matter very well you know i mean if you're going to write historic fiction you need you need to know what you're talking about and um, yeah. i think it's clear that, it, that he does you know um this is, again there's not there's not much i can really say to to criticize i think i think the writing was very nice um you know we we, we were, again as i said we were straight in the in with the action there weren't we with the, yeah. uh, with the arrow coming into his arm totally um, so I mean, that, there's a lot of promise from there. I mean, the, the, the only thing I would probably say is I, I found the, um, the the section, the convalescing section, I I oh. found that a little bit mm. a little bit slow for my for my for my taste. I think yeah, that could probably be a bit, a bit more concise. Um, yeah, that's what Pamela said. Pamela yeah. says it's dragging now and needs some dialogue. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah I think I'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah, so and, a little bit of an edit, maybe. I mean, you know. Um, yes. And John but, is but being that, instantly yeah. defensive. John is on YouTube. He's saying, no, this is the frame for the story to come. Ah. <laughs> you can say that now, John, but you can't say that to all the people who are going to buy your book, unfortunately. That's the thing. Um, yeah, so would you would you, uh, would you you read on there, Dean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You would? You yeah, give I, another... I, I would, yeah, I was... Yeah, I would, I would certainly read on. Again, it's, it was just... Um, I mean, as you said, you know, you, you've got to watch it because you don't want people to sort of um, yeah lose interest at that early stage. Yeah, let's just know? look what you gave for the title. You get you get that four out of five. You got eight different title as well. So you like the title. One or two people have said it's a bit sort of D and D, but the title's good for you. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, but I, I think it really suited the piece. I, I, yes, you know, I think it was. It was fair um, enough. Yeah, and it got quite Correct. quite sort of. Um, yeah, quite a standout title off as well. You know, if you saw Good. that in a bookshop, you might. Be. Yeah. Well, let's let's ask Ben. He's the title guy. He's the standout title for you. Would you like even a little bit longer still? <laughs> no, I thought, I thought the title was perfect because it, it sends a signal about what it's going to be about, which is what grabs me. And this is exactly what I read. So that title is something oh, where I would stop fantastic. going down the book aisle oh. or Amazon and take a look at the blurb to see if it's something I'm further interested in. Hmm. Um, I thought the blurb was perfect. Um, I thought it was great. It kind of left with a great uh, open-ended question at the end, kind of yeah. through that. So I thought that was nice. Um, uh, craft was good. I did feel, you know, the writing obviously is solid, but it, it felt a little bit slow through there. And I, I had to check with myself if it was almost like a diary format. Um, 
if it, yeah. you know like it was a little confusing for a second where i thought is he writing a diary or is he you know is this yeah. person trying to show what was going on like there, it felt like there could have been some action to show some of what was described like you know passing out from the pain or something but otherwise solid yeah. um and i definitely would have kept reading um as Good. well and i think You'd have um, turned the page. Yeah. That diary thing, yeah, I totally understand oh, yeah. that. Um, I'm, I, I, yeah, I would be. I felt a bit nervous about that. I thought, mm, is the whole book going to be like this? Just sort of, you know, a, a retelling of events that happened in the past. But obviously, John has told us on YouTube right now, live, it's not. He's just setting the scene. Let's see what the numbers are. Oh my goodness, John on YouTube, you can't be unhappy with that, can you? You got seventy. Wow, wow. I mean. Uh, Let's do it for form's sake, but I think so far you are in the lead. You are. Everyone scored pretty well today, I have to say. But John Byrne, read by John Duffy. Yeah, you're absolutely pushing the 70s now. Anyone who gets 70 or more, you have to take very seriously on the show. So now, with almost bated breath, we're going to look at our last submission of the day. When you join our weekly huddle, certain things happen. No, not that. Bring your writing, your book titles, your blurbs, anything really, for expert and sympathetic input. In confidence. Other websites charge a fortune for this kind of thing, and Latopia, the oldest community for writers on the net, is included in your modest subscription. Latopia, we're here for you. And we're here right now for Matt. Matt Zadro. Historical mystery again. It's a shadow on Main Street wonder if Ben likes that. We'll find out. <laughs> this, is, this is Matt's blurb. An unsuspecting anthropology professor and his two savvy daughters are ensnared in a perilous hunt for a lost film made by Walt Disney on his deathbed, detailing his master plan to build a global utopian society. Now, do you like that? Do you like that blurb? I, was, I mean, I would criticise as a blurb, but I like the concept. I like the concept. I want to know more. Uh, let's tell everybody about you, Matt. I'm a documentary editor out of Rhode Island, USA, where I live with my two grown daughters, my 11-year-old son, my 85-year-old mother-in-law. <gasps> Is there room for you all? Um, how do you find time to write? And my PBS producer wife of 30 years. I've garnered extensive experience in storytelling in the world of television, where I've won four en Emmys, Many congratulations, lots of respect for PBS do documentaries and in the realm of art, where I used to work as a comic book writer and illustrator. That's very interesting. That could open some interesting doors for you um, as far as children's publishing is concerned, actually. It's very, very interesting. That. But anyway, that, we're not here to talk about that right now. What we are here to do is to hear an amazing reading from Hannah. A Shadow on Main Street by Matt Zodro, read by Hannah. Professor Matt Zafino sat alone in the middle of a deserted waterfront warehouse. A well-dressed young man had escorted him up to the second floor by freight elevator, then left him sitting in front of a battered metal desk with no word of explanation. The desk was empty, except for a stainless steel espresso machine sitting on the rusted desktop. Mac watched a small red indicator light blinking above the machine's array of knobs and gauges. He checked the time on his watch, then restlessly stood to look at the empty space around him. The building was ancient, 
built out of brick and mortar, with tall arched windows lining the two longer sides. Mac had no idea that any buildings like this one still existed in Los Angeles, even down here along the port. Apparently, someone was in the process of fixing this one up. Every inch of the walls and floor looked like they'd recently been sprayed with a thick coat of white paint. A rope of orange extension cord cut across the whiteness and ended at the espresso machine. Max stared at the blinking red light again and wondered how long he would be expected to wait here. He sat back down. Five more minutes, then I'm out, he muttered to himself, knowing he would probably be willing to wait a little longer. A message to meet at this address had been scrawled on a note stuck to the screen of his office computer. Something about Mac's department at the university consulting on an upcoming historical exhibit. Mac had considered ignoring it, but the grad student working as his assistant for the summer had drawn dollar signs and underlined them each several times. If there was one thing the School of Visual Anthropology needed, it was more dollar signs. Below, Mac heard the freight elevator rumble to life. A moment later, it came to a stop on his floor. An older, silver-haired man, wearing a dark blue three-piece suit, slid the gated door open and stepped out. Mac looked at him over his shoulder and gestured with a wave that the man did not return. Instead, he walked purposely forward, carrying two small ceramic mugs. Mac stood up and ready to shake his hand, but the man ignored him, placing the two mugs under the double nozzle of the espresso machine and flipping a switch. An eruption of dark black liquid filled the mugs and receded. I'm Max Safino. Mac reached his hand out again. The man used the opportunity to turn and hand Mac one of the steaming mugs, then silently seated himself in an antique leather office chair on the opposite side of the desk. Mac sat down and took a sip from his mug. Thanks. The man opened the top drawer of the desk and took out what looked to Mac like an oversized plaid change purse. He squeezed the latch on its top, and two half circles of gold-plated metal opened up to create the mouth of an ashtray. The contraption's coarse plaid fabric was a bean-filled bag which flattened and formed a round base when the man set it on the desk. He pulled out a crumpled bag of tobacco and began to roll himself a cigarette. Mac took another sip of his espresso and watched him work. He figured him to be in his mid-sixties. He was clean-shaven, with a darker complexion, possibly Spanish, with curly white hair shaved close on the sides. When he finished rolling his cigarette, he lit it with a thin silver lighter extracted from his suit pocket. Professor Savino, the man said, his accent proving Mac right about his Spanish descent. Yes, Mac responded, still willing to offer up a trace of a smile. You can call me Mac. The man took a deep drag from a cigarette before continuing. My name is Joel Costas. Thank you for meeting me. I come to you as a representative of my employer. Nice to meet you, Mr. Costas. Mac waited for him to continue, but instead the man stared silently at Mac while a thin ribbon of bluish smoke drifted from his nostrils. Um, there we go. Um, Pamela Joe says, that's new, not a great blurb, but the concept carries it. Uh, and uh, RG says, this is the thing that um, that I was um, 
I was getting excited about it, actually. It's, it's RG's comment, a Disney fascist dictatorship. I, I really like that concept. I think that's very interesting. It's sort of shades of Truman Show. And who's that guy in the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab? He said something very creepy, didn't he, a year or so ago. He said, in the future, you'll all, we will all, you will all, I think, own nothing and you will be happy. Well, that's a very scary thing to say. So is, is that timely and interesting? Yeah, it definitely interests me. But then, oh dear, but then. What did you think, Ben? Yeah, so the title was good, um, and I really liked it. But then uh, what happened is that that pulled me in a little bit. But then the blurb was solid, but it didn't really tell me where it was going. I love the concept, but like, are we looking at a secret base in the Amazon where the same Disney employees are working to implement this? Or are we talking mm-hmm. about finding dusty plans in a bookshelf somewhere? You know, mm-hmm. like what is this book's kind of trajectory? Because that's like, why am I going to buy it? Because if I want a slow burn mystery, you know, maybe that's a, but if I'm thinking like, you know, dystopian, you know, kind of bit, then I want to know that. Otherwise I'm not going to take the next leap. And uh, in terms of the craft, I thought it was a little over detailed on some of the descriptions, but solid. And then there was, you know, the part with the ashtray made me think of the scene in Indiana Jones where, um, he gets out the clothes hanger but he's putting it together and you think it's a torture yes. device yes and the only di- yeah i like that bit but it was a little bit confusing because um it didn't seem to have a purpose in the scene at least from what i can see here in terms of the you know was it to show that this person's working for somebody very wealthy or rich or gives something like that off but then the buildings doesn't match that so i was i was left like what's the what's what is this scene accomplishing you know in terms of the story for me, yeah. I just—it felt weird a little bit. Yeah, um, James says, "Got to have a coffee." <laughs> that kind of says it already. RG says, "Needs a massive edit." I totally agree. Not enough going on. Needs either start in a different place. I have something fascinating about the scene. There's no hook. Uh, Eva says, "I hope this doesn't go on much longer." Ah, and Pamela says, right as a documentary maker, so I would expect the scene to be more cinematic. The thing is, you're describing everything, Matt. I don't know why you're doing that. You're describing everything. And I've just got to, I've got to show you this. Okay, so this is your... Oh, it's not very well presented, actually. It's totally my presentation. But look, this is your... There we go. That's, that's your first paragraph, mate. I mean, look, it's... I have said this before. I'm going to say it again because it's, it, it's obviously not got, got through for everyone, every writer out there. Um, and the thing is that, you know, people who look at submissions for agents and sometimes publishers who take them directly will see 25, 50 submissions easily in a day, maybe an afternoon. Any submission that comes in looking like that is is daunting. It's really hard to, to read. Even even the font, I would say change the font to a nice, nice serif. But it just looks... He- and Experience says that when you see submissions coming in look, uh, that look like that, massive, big, big chunk for first paragraph, they're often, not always, but often by crazy people. So, you know, you're not doing yourself any favours at all with that. What did you think, Dean? You're probably going to say you, lo- you loved the way the first paragraph looked. Uh, no. No. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm in agreement, really. I mean... Um, uh, same as Ben, I mean, I, was, I really love the concept. Really excited mm. about the concept. Um, and and again, the, you know, the, the actual craft is 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 good. Um, it's it was just that you know, when the character was waiting in that warehouse, I think we were all waiting um, for something to get going. Mm. 
So, you know, like you say, needs a major edit, a lot of that taken out. But um, putting that aside, um, I, another thing that troubles me about this is while I love the concept, hmm. um, would a publisher really want to touch this in that, you know, is, is hmm. there a problem there with litigation and like, but I mean, yeah, you're taking on Disney here basically, aren't you? Um, yeah. That, uh, you, you know, might, that yeah. went through my mind. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm American, so like you definitely want to change that. <laughs> you don't want to mess with the mouse. <laughs> it's not team. that they could win, maybe, but they have the money, so you have to but, you uh, have to make a new. You know, you do something like this as a global media company with famous children figures. It's Disney, Disney, mm. great idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I think I think that is an issue. I, th I think some publishers will absolutely go for it. I think, I mean, Disney's lost lost a bit of its its commercial clout in, in recent weeks, hasn't? It? Of course, in Florida, um, I don't know how much they honour the the spirit of Walt anymore. I mean, you know, can you libel someone who's dead? Not really. Can you libel their brand name? Possibly, actually. But then a lot of critical stuff has appeared recently. Who can say? It's a crapshoot. Uh, your numbers... No, the bang, you've given that maximum marks for bang. Click. Would you care to explain that? Yeah, I mean, I just really love the concept. I think I think it has got commercial appeal. You know, I think... I mean, when, when I read the blurb, um, I was, like, instantly hooked and wanted to, to read that story, you know, um, which is what it's all about. You know, if you find... I think the sort of the holy grail is... Uh, for a writer is to find that new concept isn't it that yeah, high yeah. concept it that, is it that, totally is you know, yeah. that, that kind yeah. of thing you, you could say to somebody you know um, that, that kind of water cooler thing isn't it oh have you heard about this book it's about you know Disney yeah. and, and these plans to, to um, yeah you know like for a dystopian future it's instantly you think oh that's, that's, that's new I've not heard of anything like that before it's different yeah. you know yeah. so Terry says would Disney try to stop this if it looked detrimental Chantal says hell yes they would they go after everybody well hopefully they're not going to go after us we got no money in any case you know I mean go, 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 go ahead if you want guys I mean, you've probably got better things to do haven't you uh, yeah that's very interesting um, and she says follow Michelle Schusterman on YouTube that I probably will have a look at that actually because I love I love that sort of confrontation having been slightly involved in one a few years ago myself at McDonald's but that's another story um Thank you, guys. Excellent comments. Um, excellent wisdom and insight. I guess now's the time we look at the numbers. And you've got a you got a 59 there, Matt. Good in parts, not so good in other parts. Um, and I, I think we all want to to see how that concept develops. But you know something? We actually do have a winner, and this is it. Congratulations, John, Brothers of the Sword. Good 70. Wow. 70 is not 74, which means you haven't, you're not going to be our monthly winner, but you can definitely hold your head up high and proud and tell everybody about the wonderful day you won pop-up submissions. Meanwhile, I'm going to say thank you so much to our two fabulous guests today, Dean and, of course, Ben Fox, Shepherd.com. Hopefully not the last time uh, we uh, we have Ben on the show. Very keen to have Ben back and to see how Shepherd.com does. Go there, sign up. It's in beta at the moment. Follow his adventures on the Shepherd.com blog. I think I've got the feeling a little history is going to be made there. Meanwhile, we'll be making history same time next Sunday. Please join us live. Hit it!
Gonna 